0: We are in the middle of our series, Jesus in Between. What we've said is that most people are aware of the circumstances and the details surrounding the birth of Christ, right? That he was born of a virgin, that the shepherd and the wise men were there, and we know the details that we celebrate at Christmas. Many of us are aware of the circumstances surrounding what we celebrate on Easter, his death his burial, and his resurrection. But our hope and desire is that we would understand a fuller picture of who Jesus is between the holidays, of what he said and did in a way of helping us understand him in greater depth. Because what you and I know is that the more information and understanding we learn about a person, changes our perception in the way in which we interact with that person. Take, for example, David, who led us this morning in worship. Did you know that at age 13, he started his own band? All right? David is also an artist, and he has a mural on High Street that if you drive by, that you see his work. All right? Annie, for example, who's right here, she works with Power Kids and uh, a little with our Give It Away, At uh, she spent a week performing on Broadway, right? When uh, You'll have to ask her about it. When she was in the fourth grade, uh, she uh, had her performance that for a week. Josiah, who works with our students in groups, he is a big fan of spike ball. Maybe you've seen him in the back playing spike ball, uh, but Josiah and his brothers developed what they have deemed the spike ball shuffle. So as they get ready to engage in spike ball, they have this routine and dance that kind of gets them in the mindset for spike ball. You'll have to ask them to do that for you. Or just choose to follow them on Instagram. That's how I saw the spike ball shuffle. Or Tyler, who's back working with our Power Kids now, uh, you may have noticed, or if you were here at Bible Camp, uh, he rode a dirt bike, maybe for the first time, and had a bad accident in our parking lot, right? If you're looking forward to annex, I'd, I'd invite you uh, here this summer in July to join us for that, right? But as we learn more information about a person, it changes the way that we interact with that person. And our hope and desire is to fill out more of the picture of how we perceive and understand Jesus, because it will change the way that we understand him, worship, and respond to him. What we've said is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. We don't have a God that just appears or appeared, but rather that he dwelt with us, that he became a man. So Jesus, God himself, knows what it's like to be hungry, to hurt, and to be happy. He can empathize with us because he understands what it's like to be a human. We also know that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. That he's 100% both. That he never minimizes grace to show truth or vice versa. And so the story, the passage that we're going to take a look today, we see a claim to Jesus' divinity, but an invitation to his grace while a stark realization of truth. I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 10. You can follow along in the Bibles that you may have in the seats or on the screen. And uh, we're going to take a look at a statement or a statement that Jesus makes about himself. We're going to pick up in verse 11, and we're just going to look at a little bit of the chapter. So I'd encourage you maybe this week to go ahead and read this chapter on your own. Verse 11, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The big idea in the thrust of this passage is that Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who is gathering his flock. Now, when Jesus uses this terminology to describe himself as good, he chooses to use the word kalos in Greek rather than the word agathos, which means morally good. Kalos is a more encompassing word that includes being morally good. But it means to be magnificent, to be beautiful, to be winsome, attractive, the premier one. And Jesus is actually making this statement that I am the shepherd, the good one. In contrast to the religious leaders of the day. Because as Jesus is talking in John 10... This is directly preceding what has happened in John chapter 9. Because Jesus there is walking with his disciples. And they come upon a blind beggar. And this man was born blind. And his disciples are curious, asking him questions about this. And Jesus says, this man was born blind not because of some sin he or his parents committed. Rather, so that a miracle could be done. And Jesus reaches down into the mud, and he spits. And he comes up, and he puts the mud on the eyes of the blind man. And he sends him to go wash in the pool. And this man comes back. He's been healed miraculously. I was blind. Now I can see. And he's called into questioning by those religious leaders of the day, those in the synagogue. And they're like, you're not the same guy who was here. Right? They, it went so far as they brought his parents in to try and verify and minimize what had happened and who this guy was. And so eventually it came to a boiling point in the synagogue that they excommunicate him from their midst because of his belief and understanding of what Jesus has done for them. And so Jesus is comparing and contrasting the way in which he interacts with his people in direct contrast to the religious leaders of the day. Right? Because we see in the Gospels that Jesus would walk around and interact with people, and his heart would have compassion because he'd say they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we see that Jesus says that he is pulling people from other sheep pens and inviting them into his pen the sheep pen that he is talking about is their religion of judaism and he's contrasting the way of life and expectations about that sheep pen versus that of his own their sheep pen created rules that guided behavior and he's inviting them into his sheep pen that facilitates love that's expressed freely. Their sheep pen says, "I can work really hard to become better and to be right with God." And Jesus says, in my sheep pen it's just admitting my helplessness and weakness and that I need rescued." Their sheep pen says, "There is a way that I can work and eventually get to God." to where Jesus' sheep pen is saying it's impossible that God has made his way to you. Some of us find ourselves this morning in the sheep pen of religion. And Jesus is calling, he's gathering his flock with an invitation to be a part of his flock. It says that in John chapter 10, Jesus has other sheep pens that he is going to visit and call people from, mainly the Gentile nations. And some of us today find ourselves in the sheep pen of chasing satisfaction and maximizing independence, that we live our life on earth trying to uh, achieve or uh, have as much enjoyment that life can bring. Some of us find ourselves trapped in the cheap in the sheep pen of cultural and peer acceptance. That we live our lives based upon what others believe or think about us. That our reputation or their perception is the most important thing. And Jesus is giving that invitation to all of us that no matter what our primary identifier in life is, that he wants us to be a part of his flock. Now, we don't... Uh, or not surrounded as much in an agrarian society. And so when we hear this terminology of sheep and a shepherd, it's not as familiar to us. And Jesus is saying in verse 14 that I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. Right, That Jesus is saying that he knows our sheep likeness. Sheep can become very easily restless and they're also directionless if they have the least bit of hunger or uh, have flies around them they become very antsy doesn't take long for a sheep to wander from the rest of his flock right A, a sheep is also very weak susceptible and vulnerable sheep are not known as the most smart or cunning of animals You've probably never been to someone's farm and seen, as you entered on the gatepost, this sign posted: "Beware of the sheep." Right? They uh, don't strike danger uh, to humans or other animals. You've probably never seen an animal running running away from a bleeding sheep. Right? They are virtually defenseless, without claws, sharp teeth speed, or a resounding roar, they are very easy prey. They can't scamper up a tree, camouflage their color, or even swim. And when they sense danger, they become very timid and they panic right away. Sheep also are notorious creatures of habit. They're extremely stubborn. They will blaze the same trail, they will eat in the same pasture, to the point where it brings parasites and disease. Compared to other livestock, they are ones that require more careful handling and more detailed direction than most other livestock. So we see in the Bible that God compares humanity to that of sheep. We see in Isaiah 53, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. So much in the same way that sheep are totally dependent upon their shepherd, we too are fully dependent upon God. And Jesus goes on to speak further about this relationship that he desires with his sheep. Look with me in verse 3. It says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because he knows his voice. Later on in verse 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and habit to the full. Another version says, Abundant. Jesus, the good shepherd, guides me to abundant life. He seeks to have a relationship because he knows us intimately. He desires to be in close proximity. And he guides, not directs us, through the use of his voice. Sheep have uh, great peripheral vision. They can see what's going on around them, but they're known to have terrible depth perception that they can't see very far in front. So for a sheep, it's very easily to get caught up in what others are doing around them and lose direction and understanding of the voice of the shepherd. Isn't the same thing true for us? That we can get caught up in the values and the ambitions and the goals and the lifestyles of those around us. That we can wander from one mundane moment to the next. That at times we will find ourselves disappointed or bored. That church becomes nothing more than a routine. That to worship can become a chore. That reading our Bible can feel like an obligation. And yet Jesus is calling and saying, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Some of us have stopped listening to our shepherd. Maybe at one time we were, and at the moment because of busyness or hardship, We've stopped taking the time to listen to his voice. Maybe we've lost interest or become too busy in our own plans, which has led us to maybe stop spending time in reading what he has told us about himself. Maybe we've been unable to prioritize those environments of doing life with other people that are daring us to follow the Good Shepherd. Maybe we've just lost tune because of the busyness of our life or maybe we've lost the wonder of his voice i believe others of us hear from god which is different than listening because we know what he's asking us but we're choosing not to follow regardless of whether we've lost listening or hearing to enjoy and experience this abundant life that he offers conditional upon our willingness out of obedience to follow his voice, trusting that he is a good guide, That not that he is going to do away with hardship and difficulty, but he wants us to be able to enjoy and maximize and calls us to an amazing, meaningful life. And he invites us to be a part of the sheep to listen to his voice because he knows us, he cares for us, and ultimately he wants to protect us. We see in verse 7 of chapter 10, it says, Jesus says again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. We see towards the end of the chapter that Jesus is saying, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the gate to guaranteed security. In ancient Palestine, the way that a sheepfold would be designed was that they would have walls made of rock up to six to eight feet high. And on top would be briars, almost like a barbed wire type, to keep predators away from the sheep. And there would be various sheepfolds in each village. So as a flock of sheep would be out grazing towards the end of the night, they would make their way to the sheepfold. And there was only one way in and out of the sheep pen. And that was through the entrance, through the gate. The shepherd, at the end of the day, would guide his sheep one by one through the gate. At that time, he would begin to inspect the the sheep to make sure that there wasn't any parasites there. That he would anoint their head with oil that he would make sure that they had been well fed, that they weren't of hunger, that only in the presence of a shepherd would tension be removed from the other sheep. Right, Sheep, like other animals, had a budding order. And in the presence of the shepherd would they fall in line. And it says, as they make their way into the sheep pen, it's only then that they can rest and feel secure. Only when they're free from all fear, tension with each other, from hunger and security, that they are able to rest. Oftentimes, the shepherd himself would lay right in between the gate to protect his sheep from enemy predators. And Jesus is offering to you and I that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That to have an eternal life with him as our shepherd, there's only one way in. And that he offers the ultimate protection and security. Knowing that I can feel at peace and rest no matter what I experience that I am in care of the good shepherd. Probably many of us are familiar with Psalm 23, and as we understand more about sheep and a shepherd, it takes on a significant meaning. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the presence of the shepherd, we can have guaranteed security. I find it interesting that for centuries, sheep would be sacrificed for their shepherd. And Jesus comes on the scene and he refers to himself as the great I am. The great I am who is the good shepherd who willingly and voluntarily lays down his life for the sheep. That Jesus promises to you and I that eternal life is available when we say yes to Jesus as the gate. That an abundant life is possible and available when we say yes to Jesus as our guide. He is the good shepherd. He cares for us. He knows us. He desires to lead us and guide us. He knows our sheep likeness. We don't have to cover that up. But when we recognize our helplessness, we understand the value and treasure that we are before the shepherd that he deeply loves us and cares for us as his own.